exegete this entire passage because we'd be here for about an hour. Um, And so I want to pull out of uh, things out of Hebrews 11 on biblical faith. What is real faith? So let me pray and then we're going to get into the topic this morning. Holy Spirit, you are the guide into all truth. You said we have no need that anybody teach us for the anointing that dwells in us teaches us of all things. Thank you that we have a teacher. Jesus, you are our teacher. Come teach us this morning. Open our hearts and our spirits to you. In Jesus' name, amen. What is biblical faith? Now, if anybody has any thoughts or questions, please feel free to raise your hand and ask during this time. In our culture, in our music, in our society, in our movies, they talk about faith, don't they? They say, well, you got to have faith, right? They say, believe. They say, have you seen The Matrix? Man, they talk about faith all the time in The Matrix, right? Um, It really is a different movie. Uh, There is so much talk about faith in culture, and here's the, the feel of it is really interesting. It's vague. It's weird. What do you mean, have faith? What does that mean? Do I need to have a feeling? Do I need to have an experience of some kind? Do I need to have an encounter in order to have real faith? What does that look like? Anybody have a thought? Uh, what's uh, Maria from uh, Sound of Music? You know that song in the beginning? She's carrying her luggage to go to the, uh, to the, ab- the abbey where she's, got the ki- or where she's got the kids. She's going to go take care of the kids as a governess. And she says, I have confidence. You know what I mean? She's like, I have confidence and confidence alone. And it's like, sorry. That's like my favorite movie and now you've ruined it. <laughs> but no, you, did you catch that? I have confidence in confidence alone. Right? That is so American. Right? To have confidence in confidence alone. There's groups out there that it's not so much what you believe so long as you believe. Uh, there's even new age groups out there that really emphasize the power of faith. You can believe whatever you want and that will happen for you. You can experience whatever you believe. Uh, faith is talked about in some weird ways. But what does real faith look like? I was speaking at a camp and I, one statement I said that struck the kids was, faith is not a feeling. And I had a girl, a junior high girl, just be like, what? <laughs> faith is not a feeling. I want that to go right into your head. Faith is not a feeling. Okay? So what is it? What is it really? Let's take a look in Hebrews 11. In Hebrews 11, we're going to discover faith is considering God to be trustworthy, his word to be true, and then living that out. There's many definitions to faith, 
Even in the Bible, in the most basic sense, it means to believe something, to trust something, to be convinced of something. And in Hebrews 11, we're going to see faith is considering that God to be trustworthy and that his word is true. And that will be lived out in your life. Okay? So in Hebrews, uh, the book of Hebrews, the context is about how Jesus is the best. Okay? He's the greatest. He is supreme. And it talks a lot about the Old Testament in the book of Hebrews. Um, And it's encouraging Christians who are living by faith in Jesus to hang on to their faith in Christ, to hang on to Jesus even when times get hard, even when times get rough. Have you ever been in that situation where you feel like it's, nothing's working? You feel like God's far away. You feel like you're a failure. Beloved, what a great time to learn to live by faith. Paul said we live by faith and not by sight. sight. Yep, yep, and we'll get into that. We'll get into that. So we're going to look at three Old Testament examples of biblical faith lived out in Hebrews. So I'm not going to cover the whole chapter. I'm just going to hit a couple of sections. We're going to take a look at three lives in the Old Testament and how they live by faith and what does that look like. So I'm going to begin in verse 1 and I might touch on some others. But I'm going to read in verse 1 and go down to verse 7. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. All right. Somebody's got to read um, their version of that one. Um, Jeremiah, read yours. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Okay. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And another version of that? Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, assurance about what we do not see. Confidence in what we hope for, assurance of what we don't see. So you catch that? It's what we it's being confident about what you can't see. Believing the evidence of something that you can't necessarily feel or see. That's biblical faith. That's the opposite of having a feeling or an experience. That's the opposite of faith. Alright? If you have a feeling or an experience, then you're seeing in essence. You're experiencing something. Faith is believing something that you can't see. You remember uh, Thomas, right? Doubting Thomas. When Jesus raised from the dead, he shows up, but Thomas was out to lunch. He was somewhere else. He missed it. That's the wrong event to not be there for a time. <laughs> he gets back and they tell him that Jesus is alive. He's risen from the dead and he wouldn't believe Unless I put my fingers, unless I put my fingers in the scars of the nails and feel the scar from the, the pierced side, I won't believe. Thomas is saying, unless I see it, I won't believe it. But biblical faith is believing what you haven't seen. When Jesus shows up and lets him feel the scars, he says, is it because you've seen me that you now believe? Blessed are those who haven't seen me. And yet believe. Beloved, if you find yourself where sometimes you're not feeling what you feel like you should be. 
No, that, that has nothing to do with biblical faith. Biblical faith is believing what you can't see to be true and then living that out. So let's continue. Verse 2. By, for by it, or by faith, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Okay, when I look around and I see everything here, faith is believing that it was created by God out of what is invisible. That, that he created everything out of nothing. Something out of nothing. So we believe that God spoke and the world came into being. You can't see it. You can't prove it. But that's what you and I believe. In contrast to our evolutionist friends who believe that you and I were created out of what we can see. Right? You came from the rock over there. (laughs) By faith, verse 4. Abel, now here we're seeing an example of faith. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. So this story comes from Genesis chapter 4. It's one of the earliest events in biblical history. Cain and his brother Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve, offering up sacrifices Abel's was accepted, but Cain's offering wasn't accepted. Why was Abel's accepted? Because he did it by faith. See, faith pleases God. God loves it when you and I believe when we can't see it. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Now, the story of Enoch, that's just a chapter or two later. I think it's, uh, I don't know if it's Genesis, maybe chapter six, five. five. The genealogy uh, says Enoch, it doesn't say much about him. It says this, though, he walked with God. And then it says, he was not, for God took him. (laughs) I think it's awesome. This guy just walked with God. He had a relationship with God. Right? And you and I walk in a relationship with God by faith. And God just took him one day to be with him. He didn't die. He was, I don't know if he was beamed up into heaven or what. Um, that's all it says about Enoch. Um, now look at verse 6. With, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So if you, you and I desire to please God, we want God to be pleased with us. There's only one way. It has to be by faith. It has to be by believing that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him. 
Now we are going to get into the first example I want to touch on of biblical faith. Verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So here we see a, a character, a person, Noah, and it says that he was warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. Okay, He couldn't see the events. There was no forecast. There was no forecast at that time. Weather prediction. There's going to be about a year's worth of rain and water flooding the entire world in an unprecedented catastrophic event. Get ready. He had no prediction except for God's. Noah, I'm going to flood the world. Build a boat. And so Noah built a boat. A big boat. How much faith do you need to build a boat? Your neighbors come by and see this ginormous boat and say, what in the world are you doing? Well, God said he's going to flood the world. Why, why was this event going to happen? What was the point of that event? Anybody know? Wickedness. Wickedness, yes. The flood is a representation of God judging sin. That God is bringing a judgment upon sin. And so God told Noah, build a boat and get into it. You see, you and I who believe in Jesus, this event reflects something else to us. We believe that God judges sin. We believe that the wages of sin is death. That sin brings death. We believe that the ultimate punishment for sins is not water, but fire. That there is a lake of fire that God will throw sinners into. And we believe that you and I deserve that punishment. Okay, that is the warning of a coming judgment. Just like the Bible says that there was a flood, the Bible says there's another judgment. And you and I don't build physical boats to be saved from that judgment. What is the boat that you and I step into to be saved? Jesus. 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 So for you and me, what this example looks like is trusting in Jesus to save us from that coming judgment. What will that look like to really believe that God is going to bring judgment on the world? One thing it will look like is repenting from sin, turning away from sin. And that looks ridiculous to the world, okay? When you choose to live differently, when you choose to not continue in your sins, but to turn away from sin and a life of sin, that's unpopular, that's uncool, all right? It's about as uncool as building a boat in the middle of a place where there's no water. Do you think Moses, Noah was ridiculed for having a boat? Let me read what Peter said when he was speaking about the, con- um, about the coming judgment and he had referenced Noah. Here's what Peter said. The time that is past, the, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality and passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised 
when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Oh, God's ready, to, and he will judge the living and the dead. So what does it look like to live by faith like Noah did? It's choosing not to take part in those former sins because God is bringing a judgment on them. And it says that you, they will malign you for that. You ever been made fun of for being holy? You ever been made fun of for doing what is right? Because you're, you're not willing to lie. You're not willing to steal. You're not willing to do illegal activities just because other people are doing it or because it's not popular at the time. You got good company. Noah must have felt the same way. But he believed that God was trustworthy and that his word was true, that a flood was coming. And so he acted. He lived that out in his life, and it looked like building a boat. You see what I'm saying? And so for you and I, what that would look like is turning away from sin and getting into God's boat, which is Jesus. When you believe upon Jesus, you are getting into the boat that will save you from that coming destruction. Okay? Now we're going to look at the second example of faith. Abraham and Sarah. And I'm going to read through the whole section. or Well, I'm going to read through uh, one paragraph and then the next, verse 8 through 12. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So here we see the picture of Abraham and Sarah, also in the book of Genesis in the Old Testament. God shows up to Abraham and says, go, leave your family, leave your kindred, leave your home, go to a land that I will show you. And notice it says that he, he left. He packed every, everything up and left. Can you imagine him packing his bags and his friends asking, where are you going? I'm not really sure, actually. <laughs> That's what it says, right? It says he, he went out not knowing where he was going. Why? Because he believed that God was trustworthy and that his word is true. God told me that I would have, that he would give me a great name, that he'd make me a great nation, and that he'd give me a land. So I'm going because I believe God. Wow. When you believe God and when you believe what God says in his world, your life will look so different from those around you. Sooner or later, you're going to start looking a little weird. Not in a bad way, but, it's, but to them, it will be weird. It will be different. It says that Abraham was longing for a city. That foundation and builder was 
God. Abraham chose to live in a tent, okay? He lived on the earth and he wandered from land, uh, from, from place to place in Cana, living kind of like a nomad, like an exile. But he had a longing in his heart for a, a place to call home. Okay, now I'm going to continue reading um, about Sarah. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. Okay, I did explain that. Sarah herself was 90 years old, and God said, you're going to have a baby next year, Sarah. And what did she do? She laughed. She laughed. Couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. But it says this, by faith, she received power to conceive. Wow. Wow. I'm thinking at some point Sarah must have come to believe God. To believe that what he said was going to, was true. Because it says that she received power to conceive. And she gave birth to Isaac. Who spawned the Israelite nation that we have today. You know, uh, this reminds me of, for the Christian, when you believe upon Jesus... He gives us the right to become children of God. There's a new birth that happens when you become a Christian. Okay? It says that Jesus is formed in you. I think sometimes we can look at our lives and we can be discouraged and we can think, how can any change happen with this life? How can I be made like I'm supposed to be made? It's not going to be through any natural strength or power on your end. Because you and I, apart from Jesus, are as good as dead. We're as good as dead, just like Sarah and Abraham. We're as good as dead in a physical sense. But when you trust in God, when you trust in God, he creates a new birth. He gives you a new heart. He gives you new desires. And Jesus lives within you. So that's a parallel that I see with Sarah. Let's continue verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Verse 15. And if they'd been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. One mark of biblical faith means that we believe in a homeland and a city that we are going to. Where is that? It's a heavenly one. It's a heavenly one. We believe that God has prepared an eternal city. And that we will go to live with him for eternity, forever. This is something that God has said in his word. Which means that while we're here on the earth, we live differently than those around us. It says that they were exiles and strangers on the earth. When Olivia and I go into a house and we look at a house and then we walk out and we either... We either prepare or think, maybe we should make an offer. Maybe we shouldn't. I don't know what we're doing. And then somebody else snatches up the house with an offer. Your heart can maybe fall a little bit. You could see yourself in that place. You could, oh, you know, it could have been neat over here. Or maybe you had something that was very precious to you and you lost it or, 
or something happened to it. Or um, sometimes I think we can become attached to the earth a little bit. We like it. We enjoy it. For the Christian, we have to keep our heart remembering there's an eternal homeland. And I'm just passing through here on the earth. Just as Abraham and Sarah left their home for a heavenly inheritance that was to be theirs. Now, another act of faith that Abraham did. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac, verse 17. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Okay, another Old Testament story of Abraham. So Abraham has this miracle. They give birth to a son. He is 100 years old. Sarah is 90 years old. Some time later has passed and God says, Abraham, that son that I've promised to make a nation out of him, I want you to go and offer him as a sacrifice. Hmm. Do I believe that God is trustworthy and that his word is true when he tells me to do that? One of the great tests of whether I trust and really have faith in God is whether I obey him. Whether I obey him. When I look at the word and it stares me in the face and God says, Sam, you need to go and do this because I've said so in my word. The test of do I trust him comes down in that moment. Will I obey him? Will I obey him? Do I believe that he's true? That his word is true? If so, this is how I'm going to live. It says that Abraham was thinking in his mind as he took his son up that hill, as he took the bundle of wood with him and that knife, it says that he considered, what does it say there, verse 19? He considered that God was able to, able to raise him from the dead. From figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Well, God told me that he would make a nation through my son. So Isaac may raise from the dead. That's what he considered. You know what's really neat about that story? It points to another story where there was an offering of a son up who was raised from the dead for you and for me. When you and I heard the good news about Jesus, that God offered up his son as a sacrifice and then he raised him from the dead, we're living like Abraham. We're living like Abraham when we believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. Um, that's really important. You see, we've got the coronavirus happening and, and we've got all, this, all these fears that are, that are uh, just wrecking our world right now. For the Christian who lives, who knows they have an eternal homeland, how I live on the earth will look different than somebody else. It means that I'm not grabbing up all of, all of life to soak and to, and to get everything I can for myself. Because I know this isn't it. God raised Jesus from the dead. And I know that he's going to raise me too from the dead. So they live with eternity in view. Rather than just the temporal things of this life. 
Um, we're going to look at one last uh, example, verse 23, Moses. Okay, verse 23, skip ahead. Um, we're going to look at his parents. Now, this is skipping to the Old Testament book of Exodus. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. Did you catch that? The king, they were not afraid of the king's edict. So Pharaoh had commanded every male child to be killed in that day. And Moses' parents, when they saw their child, they said, we're not offering him up. And they were not afraid of the government's edict. Okay. <clears throat> they hid him for three months. And obviously, you remember the story where they put Moses in the basket and they push him off. And, and he becomes Pharaoh's daughter there. Pharaoh's daughter finds him. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughters, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. Okay, so here we see Moses ends up leaving Egypt. He was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was, he was a prince in Egypt. He was enjoying, there was all these fleeting pleasures in Egypt. There was wealth in Egypt, and he left all of that to suffer with God's people, the Israelite slaves. He chose to go into a desert, to go into a wilderness with God's people, rather than to embrace the greatest pleasures of Egypt. When Jesus came, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He said this, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. He said, don't store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Hmm. So, If my goal in my life is to accumulate as much possessions and wealth and to enjoy every pleasure that I can in this life, uh, I'm, not, I'm living for what is passing away, for what is temporal. But Moses chose to leave that, and he chose suffering instead. If I truly believe that God created the world, that sin leads to death and judgment, that Jesus saves me from sin— and that I have a heavenly home waiting for me in eternity. Then I will repent from my sins and I'll trust in Christ. And I will choose to suffer with Christ if it comes down to it. Now, the author of the book of Hebrews, he writes to the people, the people he's writing to. And here's how he describes when they came to Jesus. In, verse, in chapter 10, verse 32, it says... Recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. 
sometimes being partners with those treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew yourselves you had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence. This has great reward. When the, Hebrew, when the people of the Hebrews were coming to Christ, they had their property taken from them. They had their property plundered from them. They were mistreated and they were, they were um, ostracized because they trusted in Jesus. We have not experienced that very much in America, in our culture. We do experience the, the problems of persecution, but it doesn't carry nearly the strength that it does in some places around the world where if you're a Christian... I just, saw a, I just saw on the news a couple weeks ago an Indian woman who owned her own business had everything stolen from her. She had her business burned down because she was a Christian. And that's what the Hebrews, what the, the people of uh, the Hebrew letter there had the same experience. And notice what Paul said. He said, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Can you imagine having your house and your possessions taken from you and you rejoice? You're glad because of Jesus. What would make you do that? Because you know that God's word is true and that he has said that there is an eternal home and that he's preparing a place for you. That he has, that he has for you something that will last forever. Treasures that don't waste away. And in that place, you can rejoice knowing I'm just a stranger. I'm just an exile on the earth anyway. And that's, this, world is, this world is passing away. And then we see one last application from Moses. Um, by faith, verse uh, 27, he left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king. For he endured as seeing him who was invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. And so one last act that we see Moses did is on the last night of the last plague in Egypt, he told everybody, God gave him instructions, take a lamb, kill it at twilight and sprinkle its blood on your doorposts that the Lord's um, destroyer might pass over that house. And the same way, when we trust in Jesus, when we get into that boat, it's like taking the blood of that lamb, sprinkling it on our doorposts, so that the wrath of God and the judgment of God against sin will pass over. And you and I do not bear the penalty of our sin anymore. We don't bear the guilt anymore. We don't bear anger from God or disappointment from God anymore. Because the sacrifice has been paid through Jesus. So a couple questions that I want to ask just to finish here. Notice that all these people by faith did something. Right? Noah built a boat. Abraham left his land. You know, Sarah gave, gave birth to a son. Uh, there's all kinds of other examples in this chapter. You can read them. Moses chose to leave the pleasures of the palace of Egypt to suffer, being willing even to suffer on the earth. When I believe that God is true and that his word is, tr is true, 
that's going to lead to actions and changes in my life. A couple questions. Are you living for what is seen or what is unseen? When you go about your day, am I more consumed with what I can see and what I'm touching? Or is my mind set on things above? Am I in relationship with God and drawing near with the one that is invisible? Spending time with him in prayer, in relationship, in his word? Or am I consumed with what I can see, what I can feel, the pleasure that I can have now here on the earth? And I drink that pleasure like an alcoholic drinks alcohol. If I believe that God is true, then I will seek the things that are eternal, that last forever. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Are you escaping the coming judgment and getting into God's boat of salvation and trusting in Jesus? Uh, I think all of us here have trusted in Christ. We have sought to flee from the wrath to come. If I really believe that that wrath is coming, not only will I repent from sin and turn to Jesus, but I think that I will pray that the Lord will use me to turn others as well. Lord, this person, they're living under your wrath right now. They're destined for hell. They're destined for eternal destruction. If, I live, if I'm living for a temporal, maybe I'm not thinking about where people are going for eternity. People live so short-sighted. Live for today, what I can live for today, what I can experience today. But God wants me to lift my eyes and my gaze and to live for eternity live for what he has promised in the future. God, how can you use me for eternal things as I'm here on the earth? Are you living for eternal reward or for earthly pleasures of sin? Hmm. When it comes down to it, Living for Christ will ultimately lead to having to turn away from the pleasures of sin and to choose to suffer for him. You know, Jesus, uh, Paul said, all want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Living by faith, if I believe that God is true, that is going to show up in all these different ways. So, help me to pray. Let's close. Lord Jesus, teach us to live by faith, believing that you are true, that your word is trustworthy, that we have an eternal home, and that you are saving us from sin and repenting from the fleeting pleasures of, of today and now for, that come from sin and choosing to live for what is eternal. I pray that you ground our faith truly in your word in your character, in your person. In Jesus' name.